This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Recollections Radio. Monday morning tea time is now all about sharing memories with you, old and new, of life in Dunedin. Bringing you stories, interviews and music from times past and inviting you to share your memories with us. Presented by Jill Bowie and Kay Mercer, the team behind Dunedin Public Library's Scattered Seeds Archive. Thanks to generous funding by the New Zealand Libraries Partnership Project. Recollections Radio, Monday mornings at 11 on 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Well, hello there. Good morning and welcome to Recollections Radio. You and I again today, as Jill's still busy on the exhibition, probably will be for a couple of weeks yet. I hope you've had a great Easter weekend and hopefully had some nice sweet treats. I'm lucky because my husband and I are a bit like Jack Spratt and his wife. He likes the hot cross buns and I like the chocolate, so we manage quite nicely without any arguments. And coming up on today's show, I'll be talking to a well-known Dunedin character who many of you may have seen out and about in Dunedin. Athol Parks from City Walks is going to be talking out to us today. He's got a wealth of information on iconic Dunedin architecture and his favourite haunts of the city. And he's got many stories to tell you about Dunedin's history. We'll be chatting about what he did in lockdown, his love for Japan, its culture and its beautiful gardens. Well, before we start with all that, though, I'd like to give a big shout out to the Dunedin Public Library's Home Services team who do such a great job looking after the reading needs of our community at home. If you don't know about them yet, Home Services is a free service for people who find it difficult to visit our libraries or book buses. They provide a a tailor-made library service delivered to your door every month. They can provide fiction or non-fiction books, large or regular print books, magazines, talking books, music CDs and DVDs. If you'd like more information about home services, you can call 03 474 3681 or you can email homeservicesdpl at dcc.govt.nz and the friendly team will talk to you about the service and your specific needs They're absolutely the experts at helping you access and explore the library from afar. So give them a call and see how they can help you. And then it was Basil Hooper's birthday yesterday. He was Dunedin's first architect. So I thought it might be appropriate to celebrate his life today uh, on the show. Basil Brampston Hooper was born in Lahore, India on the 17th of April 1876. In 1885, the boys, accompanied by Bessie Hooper, who was their father's sister, emigrated to New Zealand. The the father and his wife um, were busy being missionaries in Lahore. Um, So young Basil and his sister came over with their aunt and they lived with their aunt at Cambridge. Erratic schooling meant Basil finally completed Standard 6 when he was 16 and he was then apprenticed to the Cambridge builder William White. At 19, he decided to train as an architect, but first he attended Queen's College, Auckland, to remedy the deficiencies in his education. Good man. And in 1896, he was articled to the Dunedin architect, J.L. Salmond, for three years. And leaving Salmond's office in December 1900, he left for England in February 1901 to further his studies. And he initially worked for A. Beresford Pite, who was a professor of architecture at the Royal College of Art and a leading member of the Arts Workers Guild. And subsequently, he worked for E.P. Warren, another member of the Guild. And he was also employed by the Housing Division of the London County Council's Architecture Department and briefly by Temple Moore and His Majesty's Office of Works. And after being admitted as an associate of the Royal Institute of British Architects, he returned to Dunedin in 1904. He was, in his own words, the first young architect to arrive in Dunedin from England with A-R-I-B-A after his name, and he had some up-to-date designs. He quickly became one of Dunedin's leading architects. 
His first major commission, a wool store for the National Mortgage and Agency Company of New Zealand, was followed by a house at the corner of George and Warrender Streets in 1905. The restrained simplicity of his unpretentious brick house contrasted with the prevalent late Victorian taste for highly decorated villas, and it established a new direction in Dunedin's domestic architecture. These same qualities appear in the modest timber houses he built for the Windle settlement at Rosebury Street, Mornington, under the Workers' Dwellings Act, 1905. The Stafford Street Private Hospital, 1907, with its projecting and receding gables, demonstrates his skill at adapting his domestic idiom for institutional use. In his best houses, Hooper reassembled CFA voices, trademarks of rough plastered walls, sloping buttresses, curved gutter brackets and sweeping roofs into designs that are distinctly his own and which respond to Dunedin's topography. Interiors are plain but meticulously crafted, enriched with finely detailed woodwork and often embellished with subtly coloured lead-like windows in Art Nouveau style. We've seen a lot of those in Dunedin. Hooper's refined houses revitalised domestic architecture in Dunedin prior to the First World War, but he also carried out commercial and ecclesiastical commissions. He was a supervising architect for St Paul's Cathedral from 1915 to 1919, and in 1922 prepared a design for St Mary's Anglican Church, Mornington. A lifelong Anglican, Hooper belonged to the Congregation of All Saints Church in Dunedin. He was a flautist in the Dunedin Choral Society's Orchestra and was active in the Otago Lawn Tennis Club. In 1948, he retired, having weathered the lean architectural years of the 1930s in the Second World War, and he died at Waiuku on 3rd of February 1960. He was remembered as a very gentle, unassuming man who had a shy and retiring disposition and was certainly the soul of integrity. And his buildings exhibit many of the same qualities. And that information came from the Dictionary of New Zealand Biography. Well, let's have some music now. Let's have These Boots Were Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra. You keep saying you've got something for me Something you call love but confess You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you Yeah You keep lying when you ought to be truthin' And you keep losing when you ought to not bet You keep saying when you ought to be a chainpin Now what's right is right, but you ain't been right yet These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do one of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you You keep playing where you shouldn't be playing And you keep thinking that you'll never get burned I just found me a brand new box of matches, yeah 
Nancy Sinatra and these boots are made for walking. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I was lucky enough to be able to spend some time with Athel Parks out of his busy schedule and talking to him about walking the streets of Dunedin and his particular favourites. Uh, so here he is, Athel Parks. Today I'm very excited to be talking to an old friend of mine actually and probably a character who's well known in Dunedin. You may well have seen him walking about. He is Athel Parks from City Walks. Welcome, Athel. Lovely to have you here today. Thank you, Kay. That's, uh, that's great. Thank you. I'd just like to know a little bit about you, really, to start off with. If you, oh, could, gosh. you know, did you grow up in Dunedin? Or? No, I'm not. I'm not a Dunedin lad, I, I confess. I'm from the Catlins originally. Oh, beautiful. So I was well, brought up on a, on a fairly remote farm immediately south of Nugget Point. Oh, what a great place to grow up. Yes. And, and then, <laughs> yes, yes, and then, and then, no. and then I went to um, boarding school in Dunedin ah. from, you know, well, Form 3 it was then. Yeah. And, and, and then I stayed on and went to university and I've spent most of my life in Dunedin. But obviously your roots are in the Catlins. Yeah. Yes, and so, you know, my parents are still down there, pottering yeah. along, and um, I still visit there. But in my mind, I left home age 12 or 13. Yeah, and you've, you've started a new life. Yeah, it's taken a while. It's funny, <laughs> one, of, one of my favourite authors is um, Thomas Pynchon. Oh, yes. And I think he's a reclusive fellow, but he did write a book about writing. I think it's called Slow Learner. Right. And, and I'm a slow learner, and I'm the wrong side of 50 now, and I feel I'm, you know, I've almost grown up. <laughs> I think that's pretty good, actually. I still haven't. <laughs> I'm much the same side of 50 as you, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, struggling. <laughs> yes. Well, you know... Hopefully, life is a you know a learning process, isn't it? And it you is. know we grow and uh, do we have to grow up? Yeah. Mm. Well, not completely. No. <laughs> it's nice to hang on to that youthfulness, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And you've certainly you keep yourself fit because obviously your your job is walking. <laughs> so uh, what what got you into to walking? Well, it's funny you say that because I guess the immediate prompt was, and we'll, we'll probably touch on some of these things throughout the interview, but I, I just returned from, I guess you could call it OE in Japan. I'd lived in Japan oh. for about 15 months, and when I went to Japan, I deliberately left options open for the return, meaning <laughs> I didn't have anything lined up. No. And so started working, the, you know, the first jobs I could get. So that I, you know, I worked as a commercial cleaner for about three months and then started work as a taxi driver. And I actually, I drove full-time for about four years, uh, mostly night shift, and then part-time for another 10 years, pretty much. But while I enjoyed many aspects of taxi driving, the hours and, and the night shift, it, it, it's a bit of a grind. Mm. And I remember thinking, yeah, well, it's, I, you know, I, I wanted to do something new. Um, around that time, I could see, you know, visitor numbers to Dunedin were, were increasing. And I was forever seeing people sort of walking around town looking, you know, confused. And thinking, gosh, you know, there might be an opportunity here. Yeah. So I'd actually be thinking about introducing walks for a couple of years. Right. Um, and then actually the folks at Toitu began doing it. 
And I thought, well, I'm not going to wait any longer. Um, I, can, I, can, I can do walks. There's room for both of us. I'll do it a bit differently. And so I did. Also, I had worked in tourism a bit. So uh, right. late 90s, I actually lived in Broad Bay for a while and worked at Lanark Castle as, as a tour uh, guide. Okay, yeah. So, and a lot of the employees are, are you know, local people, yes, well, they were yes. then, and, so that, and I quite enjoyed that. And I also worked a little bit later for Hildegard Lubke of Nature Guides Otago, nature guiding, mm. and, and one of the sort of signature tours there was a, was a well, dawn or pre-dawn, you know, yellow-eyed penguin viewing oh, experience yeah. at Sandfly Bay, that which was wonderful. Yeah. But you can imagine getting up, you know, I actually oh, yeah. lived, so <laughs> while that was happening, I moved to Mosgiel. So oh, I'd be getting up at like three in the morning or 3.30 oh. or something to, to get out and get everything sorted out and get the van and pick up the people and get down to Sandfly Bay before the crack of dawn. Mm. And actually I continued doing that while I was driving the taxis for a while. Oh, and there were some nights, like at the end of a Saturday night shift a couple of times, or once, I drove the cab all night and then I went off and did that. So That's hard. Yeah, anyway. You I really thought, wanted a job in the daylight, didn't you? Well, yes, <laughs> I want, yeah, and thank you. So bringing, it, bring, bringing us back to the question. Yeah. And I, I, wanted, I like walking and I needed, I needed some exercise. Yeah. You know, the worst thing about the taxis was sitting in my butt all the time Absolutely. for like, you know, up to yeah. 11 or 12 hours, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that ain't cool. So, yeah, no, no regrets. But that's kind of tied in very nicely with your love of architecture. You've obviously got a, a passion for buildings because you, you often talk so knowledgeably about them. Oh, I hope so. It's, 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 uh, again, that's a, a developing thing. I, you know, to begin with, I paid very little regard to, to, to the you know, streetscape and, and buildings and so on. There was no eureka moment. There was no sudden epiphany. I just, it was osmosis. I just, I just as I spent time in town, it sort of dawned on me that something was special. Couldn't really mm. articulate what that was, but then... Something special about Dunedin itself. Y yes, it probably really came after doing research into some, some fiction that I was you know, oh, okay. working on at the time, because I've been chipping away at writing for about 30 years. Mm. But in the course of doing that, it dawned on me that, well, Dunedin's history was, was pretty interesting. And you know, I, was thinking, you know, I was thinking about the Victorian period in particular, I guess, and how it was almost a blank slate here. It wasn't a blank slate. There were people here, but it was almost a blank slate. And people like architects had this wonderful opportunity mm. to, to create something special. And so I was interested in some of those stories. And, you know, it's interesting if you read the newspapers of the day, you know, there's all these wonderful descriptions of, you know, <laughs> one or two page descriptions of, mm. of, of the latest wonderful new building. And yes. they were, I think they were much more aware and sensitive about these things than, than we are today. So... Then I... Well, I suppose, in a way, the, the buildings were more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so I sort of acquired the language, and, and then when I did, it just opened a new world. So it makes, it makes your um, you know, travels through town a heck of a lot more interesting if, mm. if you can... You know what to look for. ...kind of see what's going on and, yeah. and read those stories. Mm. And it's fun to um, share that with people. Yeah. I've been on one of your tours. <laughs> that, that, that did inspire me. I, I, it made me look at the, the city and in a different light and, and appreciate what there is here. So I'm very grateful for Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Is that when we went into um, the building? Well, now, well, it's the standard kitchen now. It used to be, I think it was a fish market. The, yes, yeah. the, the, and yeah, the yeah. Canton restaurant, yes. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And that was fascinating, and you knew so much about it, the history of it and why it was done and, and how it was done, how it developed. And You must do a lot of research. Yeah, I do. I, I, I just find that interesting. You know, I'm, I'm sort of guided by my interests. Mm. And um, it's got to be fun. That, that's another reason I chose the, the walks. I thought, OK, you know, I have to work. I may as well do something um, that I enjoy. So it was kind of back to front rather than sort of looking for a, 
you know, what does the market want? Yes. Thought, well, what do I want? You know, yeah, what do great, I enjoy? And and, career, and, and, and and can this work? And, yeah. and, and, and it, it has worked. Are there any parts of the city that really you're really passionate about, you really love? Yeah, interesting. It's funny. We're sitting here in the library recording this, and I'm looking out at the town belt. Yeah, great view. Yeah, I think I think the town plan is pretty special, mm. and it amazes me that someone would have the audacity to draw up a town plan before the town existed. <laughs> you know, the, the confidence or yeah. uh, whatever to actually do that. And I think I think it's actually served the town pretty well. Right. And features like the town belt, which were a feature of that, are outstanding. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like when, when I, you know, return, you know, lived in Japan. Japan's beautiful, as, but surprisingly beautiful as well as mm. being you know, interesting. Yes. And you know, we'd been in places like Kyoto, seen fabulous gardens. Dunedin puts them in the shade. Wow. The the the, the it's a very picturesque, beautiful city. You know, we're blessed with this incredible, well, natural landscape, mm. if you like. And thankfully, some of the you know the built heritage is is up to scratch too. Yes. Not not all of it. <laughs> you know, features like the Octagon, they were in the original town plan, and I'm not sure that that was ever intended to be the centre of town. But you know, it, it ain't perfect, but it's I think a, an attractive and, and welcoming and, and, and reasonably successful public space. Mm. So it's certainly a place that people gravitate to, isn't it? Yeah. But as and now, you know, it's funny. When I began offering walks, I, I was sort of focused on the, you know, the iconic buildings. And, you know, they are iconic and interesting, but, it, but over time I've sort of shifted to, well, actually both more close-up details and, and also the bigger pictures. You know, streets, streetscapes, you know, rather than one or two standout buildings, mm. you see streetscapes kind of improving or Dowling Street or, you know, Princess Street. You know, when I began offering walks, for example, um, the standard building was, was empty. Um, the BNZ on the corner was empty. Can you, can you believe that? Mm. Buildings, particularly, you know, you, you don't need an imagination to see that the BNZ is, is a wee bit special. Mm. And to think that it's had empty there for almost 20 years yes. um, or whatever, it's, it's just incredible. It just shows how f sort of flat the economy was in Dunedin. I guess um, development in town, sort of, you know, 80s, 90s, what development there was was sort of down by the university. Mm. But to some extent, it's, it's shifted back into the old part of town, and the bones down there are still pretty good. So it's been really exciting to see some sort of streetscape sort of come, come back to the fore. Another place that I'm excited about right now is La Nguyen, um, the oh, Dunedin Chinese Garden. I've just been, um, I'm doing a project on that at the moment, oh, wow. so it's, I've read quite a lot of interesting information about it. It's yeah. a beautiful place. Hiding there in plain view yeah, since, since 2008, yeah. and it's yeah. just, we don't, Dunedin people do not appreciate how no. special that, that is special. That is special for the very special Chinese mm. artisans and, and, and uh, craftsmen, that craftsmen who, yeah. who designed and made the thing. Yeah. That's one of the most special gardens on the planet. Mm. Well, you know that. The minute you walk in, it feels mm. like you're transported somewhere else. So, and, and having just been thinking deeply about Japan and Japanese gardens mm. and sort of aesthetics, you know, because a lot of that is influenced by um, China yeah. and, and Chinese culture, I guess it means a lot more to me now than it did when I first visited the garden. When I first visited I thought yeah this is pretty and mm. I, I was familiar with aspects of our Chinese heritage which is very interesting and important but I guess yeah, it's only now that I appreciate the, the beauty and the subtlety mm. of, of the garden. Yeah, There's a lot of meaning in every stone isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's nothing is left to chance there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. You could spend the rest of your life in that, oh, within those could, walls I'd and be quite happy. No. <laughs> as if, long as they, if you know, I was locked up, that's put where the I want to on. be locked up, please. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, yeah, it's an amazing place, and as you say, people—I don't think people appreciate no. how special it really is. 
and it was it was a gift to the people of Dunedin. Yes. From Chinese Week organ uh, committee. Yes. Yes. And it really is a gift. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful. Gift. And a plug here for the tried and true, you know, assets and and features of Dunedin. You know, we're always sort of excited about whatever's new. Mm. Well, goodness me. You go a long way to find a better public garden, the, the botanic oh, garden. Definitely, yeah. You know, Moana Pool. The city is is blessed with, and you know, the Dunedin Public Libraries. Okay. Yes. We 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 need to value these institutions, mm. perhaps more than we do. Yeah. I just I love the idea of you um, spending your days just going out walking and meeting great people as they visit the city and things. Are there, are there any funny stories you can tell us about your 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 work? <laughs> yes. Well, you know. I, I have I've met lots of wonderful people actually, and it's it's been uh, you know uplifting actually, and lots of you know funny things, lots of humorous things have happened. And one particular incident really stands out, and it it sort of comes back comes back to you know communication. So as a tour guide or you know as a human, uh, you know when you're communicating, you're often looking at consciously or subconsciously, you're looking at people's body language. You know, yeah, are they interested? Yeah. yeah, and that's yeah, that's really important as a guide. And there was one particular tour I did several years ago now, and I had one customer on the walk, and it was a it was a Japanese woman. Mm. And I hope people don't think this is disrespectful to Japanese. My my wife is Japanese, by the way. Um, I love Japanese, but one one tra- and I shouldn't generalise, but I will. Well, one trait, <laughs> one trait of, of Japanese, and and um, is is unfailingly p- polite or yes. Yes. B- very polite. And, and often quite reserved. Mm. And there's an expression that I, I think I picked this up from my wife, but you know, they, they had a face like a no mask, or it refers to no theatre, where you have these masks and it's... Like a poker face. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So very restrained. And when you're with someone who has a face like a no mask, it's, it can be a bit unnerving because you have no idea what they're thinking or no. feeling. So anyway... We set off on this walk, and I was doing my best to try and, I guess, introduce elements or sort of connections with, with Japan, you know, just, just working really hard to try and make this tour great, you know. Mm. And, and the, the guest, she was, she was polite, but there was no kind of, um, there, was no, <laughs> there were no visual cues going on. Right. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. And so we carried on, but I could sense it gradually, sort of as we, as we walked up, you know, you could see within her this sort of excitement sort of welling up. Ah. And eventually it boiled over and she stopped me sort of halfway through the walk and asked me a completely random question. Right. Which was, is it true that cricketers stop play to drink tea? <laughs> and which I thought had about nothing it. to do with the talk. <laughs> yes, and I thought about it for a moment and I thought, yes. And I exaggerated a little bit. And I said, yes, the tea break is a very important part of, of cricket. Yes, indeed. And in, indeed it is. In the country district, so, you know, I'm from Awaka and, and played some cricket for Awaka, and yeah. we would have a proper afternoon tea. Yeah. Players would take, you know, a plate along, and you would have afternoon tea. Absolutely. Um, and, a, and, a, and a cup of tea. Hence the expression, everything stops for tea. <laughs> yes. But perhaps only later did it dawn on me, you know, tea, tea is pretty special for Japanese as well. and. And I'm sure she probably thought, well, I guess, well, it's coming from the same well, isn't it? You yes, know, that, yes. You know, tea is important. Yeah. So I assured her that, that I assured her that yes, the tea break uh, is very important. <laughs> so she went away happy. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, it's good that we take these things here. I suppose she was looking for common ground, really. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. I think she'd been dying to ask that question. Yeah. And she finally... Yeah, fantastic. One of many stories, no doubt. <laughs> yes, but yeah. clearly... There's another book in there, isn't there? Well, it probably is, actually, yes. <laughs> We'll take a short break there for a little bit more music. This is a lovely version of the Alphaville song from 1984. This one is from 2008 and it's by Anne Brun. It's called Big in Japan. Winter city side, crystal bits of snowflakes all around my head and in the wind. I had no illusions that I'd ever find a glimpse of summer heat waves in your eyes. You did what you did to me, now it's history I see. Here's my comeback on the road again. Things will happen while they can I will wait here for my man tonight It's easy when you're big in Japan When you're big in Japan Tonight, big in Japan Be tight, big in Japan Where the eastern sea is so blue Big in Japan All right, babe, and I'll sleep by your side Things are easy when you're big in Japan Neon on my naked skin Passing silhouettes of strange illuminated Shall I stay here at the zoo? Shall I go and change my point of view for every ugly scene? You did what you did to me. Now it's history I see. Here's my comeback on the road again. Things will happen while they can. I will wait here for my man tonight. It's easy when you big in Japan. When you're big in Japan Tonight Big in Japan Be tight Big in Japan Where the eastern sea is so blue Big in Japan Alright Pay then I'll sleep By your side Things are easy when you're big in Japan Big in Japan Big in Japan Well, let's get back to Athol Parks now. Here's part two of his interview. So we'll go back to, to Japan. What what took you to Japan when you oh, gosh. when you went on your OE? What was it about the country that appealed? 
Well, gosh, so I've been to Japan three times now, and the, f the, the first time I went, it was to see my girlfriend, Aww. or a very special person who is now my wife. Yes. And that was a, a short visit, just to make sure that, you know, <laughs> her family were not, you know, Yakuza. <laughs> All right, right. Um, <laughs> that was wonderful. Mm. And eventually, actually, Motoko joined me back in, in, uh, back in New Zealand. Right. And then a few years later, we, we had the opportunity to actually go and live in a wonderful old home in the south of Japan, um, which was really her father's sort of ancestral home, if you like. Mm. It was a very special experience for me. I was going to say it was almost like a year off. It wasn't a year off. I actually worked really hard. I was writing, <laughs> not, not, on, not, not these projects, by the way. Right. And I taught English. I sort of, you know, devised and, and taught, you know, sort of English conversation mm. classes uh, in our community. And basically, we volunteered to coach the local high school rugby team, which was fantastic. Ah. I didn't know you were into rugby. Yes, and it was a wonderful experience. It wasn't so wonderful for my wife. Oh. For her, I mean, J Japanese society is very patriarchal. And, you know, she had, while her father was from, from the deep south, she grew up in Yokohama. Right. And she felt the weight of, I don't know, family and history and expectation in, in Kyushu. Oh. Um, I didn't feel that. I just felt free yes. for the first time in my life oh, okay. in, in some respects. So I, yep. I was free, I was cycling around, I was walking, I was reciting lines for, for, for different works w without a care almost. Right. Poromotoko was sort of, that was a, a, a tougher year for her. Oh, okay. Yeah. So did she feel responsible for the house? Or? Oh, it's hard to explain, Kay. Oh, okay. So, well, no, I'll, I'll mention it because um, it is important. You have a culture there that is thousands of years old. Mm. Japan's a fascinating place and while the sort of love and respect for tradition is, is very important and laudable in many respects, it can be a bit overpowering and, um, and it, was, you know, it, was a, it was a rural district we were living in and, and a bit more conservative than, than the city would be. You know, for example, in, in the house there was a room where all the ancestors, there's photos of them, you know, you have this obutsudon, which is like a, um, an altar, if you like, where you, you, know, you pay your respects to these people and you pay your respects to these people all the time. You know, you light the candle and the incense and you, you'd have someone, if you're having some lunch or, uh, you know, you, you put the first rice, you sit it there mm. on the abutsudon. Um, if someone gives you a gift, you sit on the abutsudon and these people are looking at you. And mm. Motoko said when she was a child, she, she, she would visit there infrequently, mm. but it used to scare her and she felt the ghosts. And, and, and that's the other thing, you know, we, you know, different, you know, I say in this, this, this book that the living and the dead coexist yes. in Japan. Yes. And, and I, I suspect they're probably parallels with Maori society here, you know. Mm. Um, you know, you, the ancestors are, are still with us. Yes, <laughs> you're still looking over our shoulder. Important, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's good and bad. So I, I sort of tended to focus on the positive aspects of that, whereas, um, right. and, and now that we're back here and 20 years on, she, she perhaps um, looks back with a bit more warmth at, sure. at, at, at some of that stuff. Mm. So you've written about those experiences, your stay in this beautiful home. Yeah, so while I was there I was working on a few projects and I did make some notes and, and obviously some memories were powerful and I took photographs. There was no intention then that I would write a book about that. Mm. But following on from the two editions of Alert Level 4, I was, I was on a bit of a roll mm. and I wanted to keep writing. And the subject presented itself, Kay, because I got a phone call. <laughs> Asking if I would um, be prepared to, you know, do a halt talk. Yes, indeed. I remember that call. <laughs> yes. And so after a couple of hiccups with, 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 with COVID, we, the halt talk happened. And it was about my experiences in Japan, living, um, gardening, um, visiting some special gardens in Japan. 
And so it just made sense to me to, to build on that and, um, and produce a book. Good. Because it was a great talk. I really enjoyed it. It stayed with me now. I still Thank remember you. aspects of it. So, yeah. Thank you. I was actually approached, I got a phone call a couple of days ago from a woman at the, I think the Dunedin Gardening Club. Right. She had wanted to go to that talk mm. and couldn't make it. And yep. she's asked me if I would give a similar talk to, to her club. And that's yeah. next year. Fantastic. And, and so I'm looking forward to that. And I'll, and I'll be able to, you know, this because, you know, events have moved on somewhat since the talk mm. and since the book was written. The book's in production now, but, it, you know, I finished writing it a few months ago. So I'll be able to pick up on, on some of those threads. And, uh, and the third <laughs> visit was actually quite recent, so just oh, before yes, lockdown. The third visit, yes. and, and it was oh. that visit where we actually went to some places that I'd, I'd never been, special places like Kanazawa, mm. uh, where my wife went to art school. Um, and um, that's the location of, of Kenroku in um, one of the gardens I talk about in the book. Yes. And we visited Kyoto, um, which is amazing. And again, you know, I was fortunate enough to visit Katsura Imperial Palace or Garden oh. there, and I wrote about that. So that those, oh. those experiences were very, very fresh in my mind. And it's a, it, I remember from the talk, it was really interesting. You're exploring the differences between an imperial garden and, <laughs> and, and quite a country, traditional yeah. place in, in a rural place. It was very interesting. But what came through particularly strongly was all of these traditions and, and why things are done a certain way. And it's, yeah. it's a marvellous culture. It is interesting. And, and the interesting thing about visiting another culture is it gives you great insight into your own, you know. Well, yes. Because it's, it's like, well, why do we do things the way we do? Mm. And, you know, funny things like, you know, it's expected here that you, you head off to school when you're five years old, you know. Yes, yeah. But in Japan, they do it in their six and there's, I don't know, 120 million Japanese. Well, yeah. can we claim that we uh, have the last word on that? And I think of these masks that we're wearing. When I went to Japan the first time, I was, I was kind of freaked out because many people, I don't know, it felt like about half of the people were wearing masks. Mm. And it was kind of creepy to me. And I thought, why are they wearing masks? Well, you know, pollution and different things. And perhaps they're quite fussy. Yes, because they've been wearing masks for a very long yeah. time, haven't they? Yeah. And so, of course, it, I mean, while I didn't particularly relish the idea of, you know, masking up here during the pandemic, I've, I've quickly gotten used to it. And, and I was sort of dismayed to see even, you know, sensible people <laughs> question the, the value of wearing masks. I mean, goodness me, of course they, they help. They're not a complete barrier, of course, but... Why wouldn't you I know, take, it's take just, what precautions you could? It's yeah. silly, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but, but yeah. As I understand it in Japan, it's, it's more of an altruistic reason for wearing them. They, they're concerned about their, their fellows rather than themselves. Is that right? Um, I, I couldn't comment on that, but, but there's, that, that's quite possibly true because one thing about, you know, I think Eastern society generally is the individual is not mm. the primary unit. Mm. In the West, we're obsessed with ourselves. Absolutely. And so that was one very interesting and quite profound difference. And I think that has, because they're quite, they accept authority in, in a lot of Asian countries. Yes. Whereas they're not so accepting of authority in Western countries, necessarily. Yes, so you've hit on something I was hoping we might avoid because... Oh, um, avoid no, no, <laughs> because, you know, no, no one and no, no society is perfect. And mm. yes, there is this respect for authority. And generally, I think that's laudable. And in some fields, for example, you know, the arts and crafts, mm. you know, some of those crafts, you know, the, they've refined them over a thousand years. Yes. And the quality of the work is just unbelievable. Mm. It puts us, it's just embarrassing to compare it with, with the quality of, you know, art and mm. craft in, in this country. There are, which is not to deride art and craft in this country. I like the fact that people feel free to express themselves. Mm. I mean, that sounds a bit patronising, but, but that's a fact. Yes, that 
respect for tradition is great, but sadly, you know, you have to trust that the authorities are uh, looking after you. And, and, and sadly, there was a period there in the 19, well, from, let's say, the first half of the 20th century where that um, respect for authority kind of brought Japan and half the planet to its knees. Yes. So, yeah. So in the book, you, do you, is, it, is it based on some of the things you talked about at the Hort Talk? Or oh, very much so. Yeah. Does it have the snakes in it? That's what oh, I Oh, yeah, okay. We'll <laughs> talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, so, yes, very funny. And this refers to, you know, my second visit to Japan, when we lived in Japan for, for about 15 months in this, yeah. this wonderful old house in Kyushu, which is near Nagasaki. It's, it's oh, in the south of Japan. Okay. It's yeah. almost sort of subtropical. And we arrived at the... I'll call it the Watanabe house, the, the house where we were going to live. Mm. And it was, you know, you'll, you'll see from the book and from the images in the Hort Talker, but it's, it's a beautiful house. Mm. You know, traditional architecture and set in this beautiful garden. It was just overwhelming. So here I was, you know, bowled up at the house the first day with some family members. And it was a bit overwhelming. And so about 20 minutes later, I, I, there was a sort of a quiet moment and I managed to slip outside and I saw, you know, in front of this incredibly beautiful house and garden, I saw a few weeds growing <laughs> at the side of the driveway. And, you know, I, I pulled them out. Yes. And then at that moment, um, Auntie Masako appeared. And I think that might have been, it might have been the very first moment I, I met her. Right. Um, you know, a, a woman of, uh, you know, advancing years and normally relatively restrained. But here she was quite animated and oh. speaking to me quite quickly, um, urgently in Japanese. And I, I had and still have a very limited grasp of Japanese. And she was, you know, sort of swiveling her hips around and stuff. It was, it was a bit, bit odd. <laughs> but she said, she repeated one word that I, re or one phrase that I recognised, which was daijoubu, daijoubu. And daijoubu is a bit like okay in English. It can be a statement or a question in this case, it was you know, clear to me that she was asking, you know, am I okay? Oh. And what I thought was going on was that because they are, you know, again, we're generalizing, but, you know, many Japanese are very polite. Mm. And I thought that she was distraught that the guest was actually doing physical labor weeding. and yes. weeding. Yes. And, you know, was I physically up to it? Yes. And so I, I replied, you know, dojobu, dojobu, you know, confidently, you know. Yeah. I, I, can, I can pull weeds out, you know. Yeah. And so I, and that gave me a bit of pride. I felt, you know, you, I had a use. I could, yes. I could actually contribute something to this wonderful family and, and garden. And so, you know, buoyed by that, I, I announced to the family a little later on that, um, that I would look after the garden. Oh, right. And I'd look after the overgrown sort of vacant lot next door, which was literally a jungle. Well, later, I learned what Masako was concerned about she had just seen a, a large snake <laughs> in, <laughs> in the driveway, um, very close to you know, yes. the spot where I, I was weeding. And I, I completely freaked out because I, I'd kind of forgotten to be snakes in Japan, yes. you know, and I'm, I'm terrified of snakes. Mm. I certainly was then. You're not really used to them here, are you? No, and it certainly <laughs> added, added some spice to, to gardening. Um, <laughs> you know, you think of gardening as a fairly sedate... Um, hobby but um, no no it really focused the mind when I yes. was in the garden and I won't say too much more about that I do elaborate on that a little bit in, yes. in, in the book. But basically you've taken on not just the garden but <laughs> snake wrangling as well. Yes and the other thing is <laughs> once you make a commitment to doing something in Japan mm. you follow it through yes. you know, there was no there was no way I could back out of that. So snakes or no snakes you yep. had to do it. So yeah. I, I, um, I had to look after the garden and so <laughs> I you know I'll, yeah no I won't elaborate because I do elaborate in the book the book is called Japanese Gardens. 
We're yeah. very much looking forward to it. So, <laughs> so that should be coming out in a month or so? I expect it will be in my hands within, within the month. Yes. And I'm hoping that some outlets may sell it. Um, you know, I'm hoping Toitu will, will stock it and, and maybe a few other places, maybe some bookstores. Good. Um, if not, I'll be, um, you know, I'll sell it directly. But oh, well, when it comes out, let us know. And we'll thank make you, sure we, we let the, the, the listeners know when that's available. Thank you. Because um, it's going to be a beautiful book. I've seen the photographs you have in it. And of thank course, you. I've heard the talk. So it's going to be wonderful. Looking forward to, to being able to sit down and read that and Thank you. take myself to Japan. It's a place I always wanted to go to. Yes. Yeah. Well, you have a very, it's a wonderful life, really. I've, from the outside, it seems great. Being able to do the job you love and then also being able to write and to be able to produce these great books. What have you got planned next? Well, gosh, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, through the pandemic, it feels like I've been, it's like driving and you can see what's in the headlights, but you can't really see beyond that. Mm. And that's, it's still a bit like that for me. Right. Whatever happens, I will continue writing. Mm. I have roomfuls, rooms full of boxes of, of projects that have been started. Mm. Work, work in progress. So, and all of those could be books? Many of them, yes. Oh. Um, and so I've got enough work now to keep me occupied for the rest of my days. Um, and I'm sure other, other, other work will suggest itself from now on. So plenty to do. There is a particular work I think I'd like to progress. It's a novel. I won't say any more about that at the Excellent. moment. Right. But the you know, City Walks continues and just in the last few weeks there's, there's been, um, you know, I guess good news for the, for the sector I suppose, but more life around and it looks like the borders are, uh, are going to be opening. Mm. Bookings have started coming through, especially for, you know, from next, next spring and, and summer and so on. Mm. So that'll crank back up again. It hasn't stopped. I had a bunch of Students from Otago Boys High School yesterday, we were out and about looking at how street art can help perhaps reinvigorate neighbourhoods. Well, that's a good walk. I'd like to do that yeah. myself. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, more of the same, really. I love the way you adapt to new situations. It's, it's great. Oh, gosh, you know, kind of have to, really. But, but you, do it, you do it with almost with pleasure. It's like, oh, something new, let's grab that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, it, as you know, it's hard, it's hard work and you need nerves of steel. So yeah, it's, um, it's my life and uh, yeah, I've, I have to get on with it. Yeah, good on you. That's, that's a good lesson for us all. Mm. Well, there's a bit of a hiatus at the moment or, you know. <laughs> well, naturally, because we've got this thing going on in the world that's <laughs> making life difficult. But you haven't been idle. You've, no. uh, you've, you've uh, talking about lockdown, we've, we've actually got a pr project at the moment that we're working on for the Scattered Seas Archive, which is looking at the lockdown experience. And, I remember you wrote an article for us for the library's NB magazine during lockdown, or just after actually, yes. just describing your experience and it was, it was fascinating because for some of us, like for me, we did the walks every day and for me it was, I noticed the colours because it was autumn and I noticed yes. the plants. Yes. I think your focus was quite interesting because it, you, you tended to focus more on people in that article at least and how yes. they were changing and, and the awkwardness of of that daily walk, which I found really interesting. Yeah, gosh, it was very interesting. It was kind of like a diary. So certainly I was observing people and you know, my neighbours who I didn't really know, yeah. even though I'd lived in that community for, I don't know, 16 or so years. Yeah. And I use the term neighbours broadly, you know, but you know, I was also struck by the, well, the beauty mm. of, of, of the landscape. Yeah. And um, it was a lovely autumn, weather-wise. We lucky actually, weren't we? Um, but yeah, it was very interesting to observe people and um, it was, well, it was a remarkable time and it, it, it ain't done with us yet. 
No, that's true. That's but, true. But the, the writing... But that was a very special time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in many respects. Yeah. And so for me, the writing was both necessary in that I needed to... It was just so overwhelming. Firstly, you know, I, d I, I needed to get out and walk. Just, you know, it's just, 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 just a essential need for me. And, yes. you know, I just naturally reflect on things. And, and my habit is to, to write things down and sort of think, think things through mm. on paper. So that's what I did. And... But, but very quickly I realised that this could, could make, be my lifeboat or, or, or bridge out of here because, you know, I'm, you know, my principal income and activity was, you know, I was a tour guide. But, yeah, thankfully I, I can write, so I wrote. Yes. <laughs> and I had no excuse. For, and for once I had the time. You, you couldn't procrastinate. No. No. I thought, okay, I've been thinking about this for 30 years. Wow. And I've always found some excuse to sort of tuck it away in the background. Mm but that excuse ain't there anymore and it's actually really exciting. So out of lockdown, you collected your writings and you produced this beautiful book. Yes, well, there's okay. first edition, Alert Level 4. Alert Level 4, which is a collection of writing by Apple Parks and you can get a copy of that from... Well, <laughs> if, there's, if there's huge demand, we might have to make some more. They've sold out, I only produced 50 of the first edition and they are, you know, bespoke, you know, handcrafted items essentially, yes, you know, hand, um, hard bound and so on by David Steadman at Duty Bound in Dunedin. Mm -hmm. We did produce a second edition. So yep. it's actually, it's the same stories, but there's some additional material, a few more images. Um, there's a preface, an epilogue, a timeline, which I, I felt was quite useful. That is useful. And because we could, we experimented and we changed the, the jacket and also there was a subtle change to the color of the cover. And we, so we produced 30 of those, and they've actually sold out as well. So we, we could make some more, potentially, but it would be quite an undertaking. Right. Um, perhaps a proper publisher will get on board and uh, mm. will do it differently. And well, I think they should. It's a, it's a real reflection on what was happening to us at that time that was going on in our minds, not, not the, the official notices or, yes. or, or history, but, but what was happening to people inside their heads. So it's a very, very interesting book. If you can't get hold of a copy, we do have both editions in the library. So yes, you're quite I'm grateful to them for that. Them yes. Yes, so the Hocken has, uh, has one, uh, one of each as well. Excellent, yep. So it's there, and uh, hopefully we'll get to another reprint, because I would yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. encourage you to do that. So it's great that this has kick-started your writing career effectively, hasn't it? It has, yes it has. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't wish another pandemic on the world, but it has kick-started my, yes. my writing, yeah. It's been useful. I suppose what it's done is it's made us forcibly step off the merry-go-round, stop thinking about what is our life, our little hamster wheel of life, mm. and, and step away from that and think about re-evaluating how we do things and yes. what pleasures we have in life and what, what drives us. So uh, for that to turn you towards writing is, is a mm. great thing. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was turned towards writing 30 years ago, but yeah, Time to um, just push on. You've got the momentum to get get it published, which <laughs> yes. is the main thing. Yeah. Yes. Which is which is the main thing. You know, you can have ideas and fluff around, but the process of actually writing something decent mm. and getting it produced, it's you know, as you know, it's yeah. it's, it's it's challenging. I mean, I mean, I enjoy the challenge, but yeah, it's full on. It is full on. But did you find it easier because life had stopped? Oh, absolutely. Well, firstly, there was the material. There were the, the daily walks. Um, there was a kind of a structure, and there were, yeah, there were no distractions. Mm. And, um, you, know, you know, some people seem to, you know, knock off great novels while, you know, raising kids <laughs> and sort of doing the dishes and stuff. I'm afraid I can't do that. Mm. I, need, I need time to, to focus and just focus totally. Yeah. 
So it's been great for that creative <laughs> process. <Yeah. laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, just the act of walking is it gets the thought processes going. Absolutely, walking and cycling. So you know, yeah. each day I I do a sort of nine k circuit out out on the tyree, and uh, a lot of ideas come to me. Or I'll, I'll I'll have a you know I'll come to an impasse with something, some some paragraph or sentence. And then I'll hop on the bike, and more often than not, I've, I've nailed it by the time I get home. So that's taught you a new way of continuing your writing career. Yeah. yeah. And it hasn't stopped there. No. <laughs> oh, well, that's been wonderful talking to you, Ethel. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate that. And all the best for this wonderful book. Um, it's called Japanese Gardens, so do look out for that. It'll be coming up in the next month, hopefully. Um, we will certainly have copies of it in the library, but uh, I'll be buying one for my own coffee table. Um, thank you, Kay. And I really appreciate talking with you today. <laughs> Thanks, Kay. My, my pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's lovely to talk to Athel there. And don't forget, if you haven't been on one of his walks, I really urge you to do so. It's a great way to find out about your own city, things that you definitely won't have heard about. And if you've got friends or, friends or family coming to town and you'd like to show off the city, that's, uh, that's an awesome way to do it. Athol's phone number for bookings is 027-356-9132. Or you can have a look at his website with details of his walks, which is www.citywalks.co.nz. And like Athol talking about good things that have come out of lockdown, if, if we can say that, I've read a lovely story in the ODT a couple of weeks ago about the crab crowds that are surging in the Bay of Pigs. Well, apparently the uh, special effect of lockdown and people not being able to drive about has meant that migrating crabs around Cuba's Bay of Pigs have emerged early and in unprecedented swarms, according to local residents. Following two years of uh, a pandemic that have allowed the crustaceans to cross normally busy roadways and reproduce in peace. So that's great news. After the island's spring rains begin, millions of red, yellow and black land crabs emerge at dawn and dusk and march from the forest across the road and down to the bay on Cuba's southern coast to spawn in the sea. And for the past two years, the crabs have had the place to themselves, boosting their size and numbers, residents say. Scientists have yet to confirm initial reports of a pandemic-induced recovery, but Rinaldo Santana Aguila, a scientist with Cuba's Environment Ministry, said the onslaught of crabs this year spoke for itself. We've observed that migrations have had an unusually high density of crabs. It's very likely that crab populations have recovered, and that is why there is such a strong migration now. What a lovely story. It's really nice that there are good things that are coming out of this strange world that we live in at the moment. I'd like to play another song for you now. This is Tim McGraw with Where the Green Grass Grows. Marching into the night They disappear to the left and right again Another supper from a sack A 99 cent heart attack I got a pounding head and an aching back And the camel's buried in a big straw stack I'm gonna live where the green grass grows Watch my corn pop up in rows Every night 
sign from a map dot, a stop sign on a black top. I caught the first bus I could hop from there. But all of this glitter is getting dark. There's concrete growing in the city park. I don't know who my neighbors are. And there's bars on the corners and bars on my heart. But I'm gonna live where the green grass grows. Watch my corn pop up in rows. Every night be tucked in close to you. Raise our kids where the good Lord's blessed. Point our rocking chairs towards the west. Plant our dreams where the peaceful river flows. Where the green grass. just just about come to the end of the show uh don't forget if you've got any stories to tell me do get in touch library at dcc.govt.nz or you can call 03474 3690 um if it's about your favorite cafe is it still there tell us what was great about your cafe what's it called now if you have memories of your wedding that you'd be happy to share with our online archive that would be great to hear from you if you have memories of the time uh, Dunedin suffered during the polio epidemic we're also recording those stories so uh, you know do get in touch if you've got an interesting story to tell me if you've got photos to share or anything else you'd like to chat about get in touch with us and we'll take it from there and don't forget to take a look at the Recollections Archive. It's got all these wonderful stories of Dunedin on it. It's dunedin.recollect.co.nz. Have a look at that uh, and you'll find lots of stories about good old Dunedin on there. Tune in next week at 11 o'clock on Monday morning or you can hear the repeat show at 10pm on Tuesday evening, 105.4 FM or 1575 AM. And don't forget you can also tune in to the podcast on oar.org.nz to catch up at a time that suits you. We next week will be interviewing Mary Ronnie and she'll be talking about Archie Dunningham who was one of the stalwarts of Dunedin Public Libraries and she has many interesting stories to tell about him. It's a very special episode just in time for Anzac Day so I look forward to seeing you then. But for now I'll see you next week.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.